I wrote a book about my life named Moguldom. You can get more information about this book at moguldombook.com. I talk about acquiring a knowledge of self, self-determination, and building a business over 10 years. There are some gems in this book that you don't want to miss. One way to support the Go movement in this podcast is to go to moguldombook.com, buy the book on pre-sale to support the Go movement. Let's go. You're listening to Go with Jamarlin Martin. We have a go hard or go home approach as we talk to the leading tech leaders, politicians, and influencers. Let's go. Today we have Brandon Torrey, the multi-talented senior software engineer at Google and hip-hop artist. Welcome yeah. to the show. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Super excited. Share with the audience a little bit about your family background and kind of the path to getting into coding. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I was about 14 years old, uh, I wanted to be a hacker more than anything. And so I had seen a couple movies. Um, one of them was Goodwill Hunting. One of them was Hackers with Angelina Jolie. And uh, it just piqued my interest so much so that I began coding um, maybe about 12 hours a day. I was online on, a, on chat rooms called IRC. That's Internet Relay Chat. Um, and at that time, there were channels where you could go in there and you could talk to coders um, kind of anonymously. You'd have no idea how old they were or who they were, but you could learn from them. And, um, you know, I didn't have access to many resources, so my first computer, I actually went dumpster diving and built myself. Um, my mother loves to tell that story. It's not something that I even really remember much of, but she talks about it. And, um, you know, I found various parts. I put together a Linux uh, Mandrake operating system machine with an AMD processor. And uh, I used this thing called freedialup.org, which was a way you could get the Internet for free at the time. And it was a point-to-point -point networking system that you had to, like, configure properly. And from there, I was off to the races. Um, I bought a book called Sam's Teach Yourself C in 24 hours. I taught myself C, um, then Python and assembly. In those chat rooms, a lot of the guys that were in there would say things like, if you don't know C, if you don't know C++, um, you can never be taken seriously. And for the audience, you're just talking about coding languages. These are coding yeah. languages, yeah. And so um, I became really passionate about it, and I was really young. So I would say, you know, that's how I got into coding. And then later on in high school, when I was like 16, 17, you know, that became not so cool so I was more so into everything else I was playing basketball I was in the city with all my friends and coding was just something that I didn't talk about but I was always really good at from a young age it had nothing to do with kind of parents or friends this is just something kind of unique to you coding yeah coding was specific to me yeah um but there was also like, so like there was a Radio Shack in my neighborhood, right? And I could walk to the Radio Shack and see parts. And they had little circuit diagram books. And my grandfather was very supportive. He would always buy me spare parts if I needed them from Radio Shack and things like that. So that's how I got into electronics. Um, but coding was really because I wanted to be a hacker. And I just got passionate about going to those, those online chat rooms and, and learning about it. Okay, can you share with the audience a little bit about your, your, your parents or your family background? Yeah, um, I come from a religious family. My grandfather was a, a preacher at Mount Moriah Baptist Church in Brockton, Massachusetts. Um, my parents were young. They were about 18 when they had me. So, you know, we had financial troubles growing up. We moved around the city a lot. Um, at one point when I was 15, we, we were homeless. Uh, we lived in a shelter. And at that time, that's when my mother loves to recall the story of me working on, you know, that Linux computer that I had spray painted black, kind of just zoned out. You know, I wasn't thinking about what we were going through at the time. It was kind of my escape. And uh, maybe that, that might be one of the reasons I was so obsessed with it back then was yeah. just it was a way to kind of escape from what was going on. So you're experimenting with uh, coding while homeless, essentially. 
Essentially, yes. yeah. I mean, yeah. they were bits and pieces. I mean, homelessness is, you know, there's a lot of transitionary phases, right? We lived in a motel at one point, then we lived in a, in a transitional facility, then we lived in a homeless shelter in Brockton. And then ultimately, I lived in a place called the Family Life Center that was owned by the YMCA. And, um, you know, that was a building that had about 14 families in it who were transitioning out of the, the homeless shelter that we were in. And, um, you know, from there, the YMCA actually supported me a lot. I began, I, I, was actually, I was essentially a YMCA kid. You know, I was in the YMCA every day playing basketball. Yeah, it sounds like literally nobody can say you're not from the streets. You can't get more streets than that. Yeah, I mean, all my friends, you know, I got a lot, I got a lot of hood friends. You know, I'm not a, yeah. I'm not a gangster or anything yeah. like that, but I got yeah. a lot of hood friends. What's the step where you go corporate? Like, uh, what's yeah. the bridge between that and, you know, hey, you're working at some of the biggest tech companies out there? Yeah, so I would say... Um, my journey into to getting to like Apple and Google actually came from my journey in hip hop, believe it or not. Um, I was the kid who was who was pretty, you know, not to hype myself up, but I was pretty good at taking tests. So I could go to school and not do much homework, you know, not even bring a backpack to school, and I'd still be able to do good enough to, to you know, get through my courses. Um, and then when it came to the SATs and things like that, I was just, it was just something I enjoyed doing. So um, I tested well enough to get support from the state of Massachusetts, and I went to the University of Massachusetts um, on several grants and scholarships um, and, and a small loan as well. Um, and so I got my degree in electrical engineering. Um, the reasoning for that was I thought I was already too good at coding, so I, I wanted to do something different. I was wrong. There was a lot more to learn. But being young, you know, that's what I thought. Let me try something else. Um, but it turns out through the electrical engineering program at UMass, you, you learn a lot of stuff in coding anyway. Is that Amherst? Amherst, yeah. yep. Um, and so after graduating, I did get a job um, in Boston as an engineer. I got a patent while I was there in LVDS firmware design. Um, and then I decided I want to be a rapper. And so I, I left on good terms. You know, my boss was happy for me at the time. And I decided to buy a $1,200 van and pack everything I had. And my, and my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, she came with me. We packed everything we owned and we drove to Atlanta where I had had some friends um, in the music industry. Yeah, I'm thinking of uh, Tom Cruise in The Firm uh, where they <laughs> just like packed the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so I end up in Atlanta. And at this time, you know, coding is probably the last thing on my mind. You know, I'm making trap music. Um, I'm going to open mics at, at places like Apache Cafe, um, bars in College Park, just wherever they had open mics for different venues that you could perform and get your chops up and meet people. I was doing that. And uh, it was hard, you know, it was really hard to, to even make a dent in the music industry. Um, and so Atlanta was great, though. I learned a lot. Um, I had a roommate at the time named Yvonne who taught me a lot. He's a great musician. And so being around him, I picked up a lot of musical traits. And I became just really, really passionate about learning and becoming, becoming a student of the game and music. Um, one of the things I did while I was in Atlanta to try to fund the music operation was I began working on iOS apps at the same time. So I kind of revived the coding thing by, you know, by doing iOS apps and trying to get into the startup world um, in parallel. And so through that, I was still active in the coding scene, even though music was my top priority. Um, and then I moved to LA. I moved to LA after about two and a half years in Atlanta because I wanted to change my sound. I wanted to get more into a little bit lighter, not so much trap, more guitar, more pop, you know, more melodic stuff. So I moved to L.A., and one of the first things that happened when I moved to L.A. was I won this national songwriting competition by Timberland and uh, Open Labs. And it was, there were 6,000 contestants. I won that. And How I did you find out about it? 
my friend um, Jimmy texted me the link, you know, like anybody else, and I was like, bro, there's no way I could win this. So, you know, there's too many people. What, what are the chances? Yeah. But at the time, I had a song that was guitar-driven. It was poppy. I was like, you know what? This might be perfect for this kind of thing. And so I submitted that, and it just it climbed up the ranks. Every day we were looking at it, and it was going higher and higher uh, until ultimately the advertising agency called me and said, hey, you're in the top five. Um, tonight we're going to call you and tell you about more information for the contest. And so I'm all excited. That night when I thought they were going to call me, it was actually Timbaland on the phone. And he says, I love what you're doing. I love your song. You make one more song. You know, I think you got this. How nervous are you when Timberland calls or not uh, nervous? I, I think uh, excited was really the yeah, word. Excited. You know, just really excited. Um, definitely a little bit of nerves in terms of, okay, now I got I to gotta make this song. That's yeah, because he's it. like uh, a heavyweight. What year is this? Yeah, this was 2014. 2014. This was 2014 yeah. when this happened. So long story short, um, I won that. I flew to Miami. I got to meet Timberland. And... You know, I was already jaded from my time in Atlanta, so I wasn't really going into it thinking, okay, well, this is going to change everything, but it's a great next step. And um, to my surprise, Timbaland was so positive and so cool. And he was like, listen, I want you to take my number. I want you to call me as soon as you get back to L.A. We're going to continue, you know, to be in contact and to continue yeah. working. And that happened. As soon as I got back to L.A., I was walking down San Vicente toward the, the corner of San Vicente and Hauser. My phone rings. It's a 305 number. It's Timbaland. What's going on? Where's the, where's the next song? What are you doing? And so for the next year, he was just pressing me, you know, where's the music? What's next? What's next? What's next? And so the first mixtape I put out, which was called Shine, really came from that pressure of Timberland kind of mentoring me and being like, you know, where's the music? And not having any excuses. Um, before that, I would wait for inspiration. You know, let me get, a, let me get past this writer's block and I'll make a song. Um, but with Tim, it was more so like, no, this is work. It doesn't matter if you're, you're like, where's the next song? And so that really, really helped me to grow as an artist. You're, you're working with Timberland, and how do you get to Google? Like, what's yeah. next step? So this is all happening, right? And we, my, my partner and I, John, who's here, you know, we're throwing parties now in L.A. to, to, to release the music. So we threw this really big mansion party um, for the Shine release. We threw another one for the next one, and, and these were, like, very lavish, you know, 500 plus people when parties you say in the shine hills. are you talking about shine shine well shine was the name of the of the project okay, okay that's got just it, what got i named it. okay yeah. got it and so this was costing me a lot of money right we're doing all this stuff i got friends that supported me um from my neighborhood but it still cost me a lot of money and so ultimately i ran out of money you know i went broke in la uh because i didn't have a hit song i there's had a lot of volatility and there's a lot parties. of volatility like some hit some don't well the parties were free Okay. So I wasn't, we weren't charging. You weren't trying just, to make. just come out. Everybody come yeah. out. 500 people come out. We got new music. And so um, I wasn't trying to make money off the parties. I was just trying to build a buzz. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And I had the Timberland thing, so it was dope. Um, but that being said, in the music industry, you know, if you don't have a big hit song, you know, the financial part is not very lucrative, you know, for an up, up and coming artist. And so um, that was a challenge for me. And essentially I ran out of breath. And when that happened, you know, I had a decision to make. Am I going to stay in LA and kind of, figure that out or am I going to kind of bank on who I am which is a really talented engineer at the end of the day uh, why not why not use that at the same time so I decided to join Apple at that time in your mind did you think you were a better coder than an artist I, to this day I know that I'm a better coder better than an artist, than an artist yeah. um, music is something that I love and I'm very passionate about and I feel like I'm growing and evolving um, coding is something that comes very natural to me. It's just yeah. something I've been doing since I was a kid. Did you think of yourself at that time, because you got started so early, 
uh, and then under adverse circumstances, did you think of yourself as a prodigy at that encoding? Point? Yeah, encoding. Um, I would say I did think of myself in that way. I don't know if that's the reality or not because I've yeah. met a lot of talented engineers, so I don't. Yeah. You know, I, I can't really say. But in my mind, yeah, my, in my mind, when I left the, the tech industry to move to Atlanta, I had thought I could always get back into this, you know, because it just comes naturally to me and, and I really enjoy it. So why not take a risk and try something else? So uh, how do you get your job at Apple? Yeah, so um, I pretty much just applied. Just applied. Yeah, I just yeah, applied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I applied yeah. and they flew me out for interviewing in, in Cupertino. And um, actually, before they flew me out, we did phone screens. So they called me, and we went through some technical questions and algorithms and things like that. Um, and then I flew out there, and it was you know eight, nine hours of just algorithms and whiteboarding. And so I did that as well. And honestly, funny story, when I, when I walked out of the interview, I was really nervous because I thought to myself, I'm going to have to move to Cupertino. Like, I, I didn't get the offer yet, but I could feel it. And I was like, yeah. oh, man, now I'm really going to have to make a decision here because I'm, I'm an artist. I got a bunch of stuff going on in L.A. I got a whole team that's in LA but I just I know that I just kind of got this based on the interview Um, and so I got the offer and that was another tough decision and so at this point it was a turning point because I began to um, not tell people what was going on and so my 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 partner here my whole team in LA I pretty much said I'm going to the bay for a couple months and I'll be right back (laughs) and so I moved to San Jose to work for Apple as a senior software architect and at the same time was traveling back to L.A. to do shows and parties. And Are wasn't you dri- you're driving back and forth? Driving back yeah. and forth and wasn't telling the, the people closest to me because I was very insecure about that. I was very, I was very insecure about the idea that I had kind of tapped out, tapped yeah. out of music and went, and went back to tech. And so I didn't want people to think that. So, so I didn't tell anyone. Yeah, so I read that there were insecurities in terms of the the hip-hop crowd yeah. of revealing your passion for coding yeah uh you had some kind of internal conflict about that in terms of how we think about what's yeah. cool and swagger talk talk about that I, I think that i maybe it was just in my own head but to me it was you know from growing up when I'm at the barbershop and people say, well, what do you do or what are you into? I might say computers, but I'm not going to say C++. I'm not going to say. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was in your head. You know I, th- I, mean? I definitely think in the culture, yeah. particularly black culture, the more hip-hop culture now, the more you're talking about murder and I did time and right. I'm serving weight, I'm popping pills. Street culture. Like that's a high street IQ. And then the more you're talking about Urkoism or I want to be a computer geek, I want to get into technology. Exactly. I think uh, that's pretty systemic in terms of a, a negative viewpoint. So you get, within you, that so you, get it. you understand exactly. And that, yeah. that was the mindset I had. And what I've realized through kind of being my, just being myself and people like my sister, my little sister talking to me about it is that that's a dated mentality in the future. Um, even in the hood and even in the street perspective, technology is going to be a big part of that. And you can see it now. You see people now who are in the streets and they're talking on encrypted apps. They know about encryption. You know, they know about things that are important in the technology space. And so um, I think that that whole thing, you know, it is a real it is a real perception issue. But at the same time, I think it's, it's going to go away because technology is becoming so prevalent in everything we do. You think... 
it's going to flip where black kids in Harlem and Watts and the south side of Chicago that you'll see more being into technology and coding than wanting to be a rapper? And let's say in the next I really 15 hope so. years? I really hope so, and I believe so. You believe so? Oh, I don't know about yeah. more so than being a rapper, but I think that those two things will become more synonymous because mm. when you talk about the lingo, when you talk about what's relevant, technology is just as relevant as fashion. It's just yeah. as relevant as anything else. Would you say that it's like you're in the middle culturally because you have a, a heavy dose of hip-hop culture and you are an artist and then you're an engineer at the same time in my view i know this is simplistic but all the push uh we we over index on hip-hop and street culture and all that stuff but it needs to be flipped on the other side in terms of you know tech technology and how technology and the groups that are deficient in technology culturally are going to be left behind yeah. uh, in terms of how the global economy is developing. But it seems like black culture, uh, we need to flip it in, in, in terms of, you know, the priorities being, in many cases, hip hop and hip hop culture where the priorities could be shifted over to uh, technology. Tech culture. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it necessarily needs to be flipped or if it just needs to be merged. Merged, yeah. Because there's a certain power that music has that I'm not sure any other form of content will be able to replicate when it comes to bringing people together and conveying an emotion. And so I think that you know, the content itself can be used to spread the message about tech and about innovation. And I think, um, you know, I really think that's the direction that things are going to go. I think that talking about things like encryption and um, artificial intelligence and things like that are becoming cool, just There's as cool as talking cool. about problems. You see it in, in the culture. Yeah. Yeah, you see it on the street level. Yeah. That, that's uh, encouraging. So uh, you're at Apple. Uh, what happens next? So I'm at Apple and I'm, and I'm living this double life. I'm essentially lying to my friends and my family and my fans because I'm not telling them, you know, what I really am doing. Uh, and I'm just traveling back and forth. And that worked out for a little while. I did a bunch of shows. I shot a video called 6OG with, with me and about 40 of my friends from my neighborhood. And, um, you know, people really loved that because it was gritty and it felt authentic. Um, but after a while, you know, that starts to weigh on you. The travel starts to weigh on you. The making up stories about where you're going to be is, is just, it becomes a lot. And for me, it started to become a, um, I don't know, it was like, who am I at this point? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it was, almost, I don't want to use the word depression, but it was going in that direction. It was like, you know, I feel very uncomfortable with the life I'm living right now. And um, so I wanted to find a way to come clean about it. So I had this idea called Multi-Dream. And it was, I was going to do a short documentary series and kind of base it all on hip-hop and my life in L.A. and Hollywood and Timberland and all these things I'm doing. And then at the end, I was going to say, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a senior engineer at Apple. And I want, I want people to understand that that's how I'm able to do some of these things in terms of financially. And um, so I'm working on this. I shot about four episodes of it. People had seen it. My sister saw it. And she goes, this is my little sister. She goes, uh, it's too boring. Nobody's going nobody's gonna to care. You got to do something else. So I'm like, all right. So I throw this party, this huge mansion party in the hills, the biggest one yet. We had about 1,200 RSVPs. 
And I figured if I throw this party and I make the image so street, so hip hop, just a thousand people out here, show performance and, you know, a lot of bottles, a lot of champagne, a lot of sparklers, pool, view of the city and kind of do this, this great event. Um, that'll be footage that'll be powerful enough for me to tell my story and it'll be exciting in an exciting and entertaining way. So I threw this party, it was a success, everybody came, it was great. Um, and so my little sister was there. So at the end of the night, it's about 3 a.m., everybody had left, and now it's just me and my closest friends and family in the hills, smoking cigars, drinking champagne. And I'm pretty much elated, I'm super happy with how the night went. She looks at me and goes, uh, you should fire your whole team. I said, what do you mean fire my whole team? Do you not see what we just did? She goes, yeah, what I see is that the person you are in real life doesn't match the person you are online, and you're not really using your story uh, in a way that could really captivate a much larger audience. I don't think you understand how trendy and how popular tech is right now. You need to be yourself. So this is my little sister talking. And yeah. so she convinced me to, instead of putting out this documentary, to take that exact same footage and prepare a one-minute mock commercial for Apple in which I stated that this multi-dream concept of breaking down the barrier of art and science, of hip-hop and technology, um, could be attributed to the technology that Apple is building. And so I did that. I sent it to executives at Apple while I was an engineer there. And Jimmy Iovine, um, who was the executive of Apple Music, responded to me within nine minutes. Wow. And so um, at that point, I pretty much dropped to my knees and praised God. I was in shock. Because for anybody in the music industry, Jimmy Iovine is pretty much the top person that you could speak to. Um, and so I actually didn't respond to him for about two weeks because I was trying to think of what was the right thing to say here. And um, I finally responded. I said, hey, Mr. Iveen, I need a mentor. Um, can we meet? And he agreed to meet with me. And so I met with him at the Culver City office here in L.A. And we met for about an hour. And he really grilled me on, like, what is it you're trying to do? Um, what are your objectives? How can you make this make sense to more people? Because right now it's, you know, it's not clear. At the time it wasn't very clear, you know, what my overall objective was. And um, he offered his support. He connected me with people at Apple Music to get my songs uh, more exposure. And it just became a really great, it was just a really great moment, a really great meeting. Um, and so I left there with a, with a larger network and a much clearer focus of what it, what it was I was trying to do. This is part one. Tune into the next episode for part two. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Go. You can check me out at Jamarlin Martin on Twitter and also come check us out at moguldom.com. That's M-O-G-U-L-D-O-M.com. Be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter. You can get the latest information on crypto, tech, economic empowerment, and politics. Let's go.